And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Also covering for Pat Miller today on News Talk 1190, 107.5 FM. All right. We got a lot to get to today. Uh, another busy week. We're going to have a special guest, uh, TV personality from uh, from the uh, the Epic Times is going to be joining us as well. Um, that's L- Pastor Lucas Miles. Sorry, I was reading something. And then we're going to have... A lot to do for the Fort Wayne audience. I'm going to cover a local issue that we've been dealing with, but I think that you'll appreciate the context of it considering how this has been happening all over the country. We'll get into that. Uh, We'll continue the Twitter files nonsense and some other stuff as well. But first, we uh, have to start with some sad news. Actress Kirstie Alley's passed away at the age of 71. She was battling with cancer. And uh, she was one of the few outspoken conservatives in Hollywood. And... Again, just you know, pretty much beloved by most people in Hollywood, even those that obviously were not politically aligned with her, who worked with her, um, tons of them coming out and showing their respect and admiration for her uh, today. So our, our hearts go out to her family and loved ones. Uh, she's battling cancer, and again, she just uh, she lost that battle uh, today. Georgia is happening today. I'm not very hopeful for Georgia for Republicans, and even though if you go back and you look at the the election on on uh, in November, November 8th, right? November 8th. If you go back and you look at that election, Herschel Walker did extremely well. And had there not been a libertarian candidate, and I know that that is going to be a bit irritating to libertarians out there, but had there not been a libertarian candidate, Herschel Walker probably is the Senator from Georgia right now, but he's not. And it went to a runoff and Raphael Warnock has raised a lot more money than Herschel Walker. The Democrats really threw a ton of efforts into that race. Republicans did not. So there are some things that benefit both candidates, but at the same time, it's it it's not looking good for Herschel Walker. And there's record early voting and Herschel Walker has to have a record day today. And that's really the only way that it looks like he's going to win this thing. So uh, I'm not holding out much hope, but I'm hoping that I'm pleasantly surprised by the end of all of this. Now, I want to get to a, a local thing that, that a lot of you have been asking me about, and I'll be honest with you, I've, I've been kind of looking at this issue and just I'm wondering if there's a different thing that is happening that none of us are not really worried about. I'm not sure, but there is something going on with Concord com, you know, Community Schools and the school board races there, and... We already know that the results were changed. We talked about that. But there just appears to be some stuff that's going on in the background that, frankly, doesn't make a lot of sense, and I don't know why it's happening. So Real News Michiana did a story on this. More questions are being raised after the Elkhart County Election Board invalidated nearly half of the votes received by a candidate for the Concord School Board. One main concern is that the candidate was never formally contacted by anyone on the election board and was given only two and a half hours to to attempt to obtain legal counsel in order to object to the last-minute change. Now, I don't know how many of you have tried to hire a lawyer and obtain legal counsel, but you you can't get it in a couple of hours. It It doesn't work that way. You're lucky if you can get it in a week. I didn't know that there had been a change until I went to the emergency election board meeting on November 28th. This is Stacy McDowell, uh, who had initially won the race. I had until noon on the 28th to challenge the new result. The meeting didn't end until 9.30 a.m. 
McDowell said that she never personally was never personally notified of the meeting either. Instead, she heard about it from a neighbor who had seen something about an emergency meeting in local news reports and decided to attend. To this day, I still have not been formally contacted by anyone, she said. Now, I I know I know well, I shouldn't say I know. I've met Stacy. I had dinner with her and her husband at a veterans event several months ago. She's a wonderful lady. They have a great family. Their daughter is absolutely awesome. She is a good person and doesn't deserve to have this happen to her. She won that race. They're saying that, you know, people voted in the wrong way, which isn't the people's fault. It's not her fault. At the end of election night, the vote tally showed Stacey McDowell with 1,894 votes. Again, this is a school board election. The commission decided to throw out 1,199 votes in that race. 844 of them had gone to her, bringing her total votes down to 1,050. So she went from 1,894 votes and winning to 1,050 votes after they tossed out about half of the votes total. And her change was so drastic that Mike Maluli was named the new winner, even though McDowell had initially beat him by more than 550 votes. Maluli's initial vote total was 1,322. The election board tossed 217 from his total. They tossed 844 from her total. And that's where we're at right now. There was an 899-vote swing to make him the winner with a 55-vote lead over McDowell. Now, again, I'm not saying anything nefarious against uh, Maluli, excuse me, Maluli, because I don't know him. I'm not saying that he has anything to do with any of this. I'm just pointing out that she clearly won that race. Now, the election board, what they're saying happened, because, again, every election is safe and secure and totally accurate, and you're a conspiracy nut if you raise any questions about it. The election board is saying that the issue was with overvotes and that there is a problem with the wording on the ballot. So the election board is basically telling you the thing that they're responsible for doing, they failed to do, and as a result, the election results were changed once they corrected the mistake that they made. Make sense? Voters were allowed to vote for a total of three school board candidates in the election with a mix of candidates from District 1 and District 2. However, voters could only select one candidate from District 2. McDowell was running in District 2. Maluli was running in District 1. Get it? So now there's a lot of you who are probably asking questions here. Hey, um, if she was in District 2 and he's in District 1, then how in the world did they take votes away from her and make him the winner? Good question. Because they're in different districts, right? So the wording on the ballot, the layout of the ballot, and the voting machines themselves did not make anything clear here. I'm staring at a screenshot. The voting machine in Elkhart County for the Concord School District, the voting machine itself says vote for not more than three. Okay. Not more than one candidate may be elected from District 2. That's what it says. So the average person who's looking at it, because you have all of their names there, 
Okay, you got Jennifer Davis, you got Michael Thomas, uh, Maluli, Tara, Michelle Towner, um, and, and the other three candidates. They're all right there. But the the basically the whole vote is, hey, uh, just go ahead and vote for not more than three. Well, people are looking at this and they're going, nah, you know, okay, I'll, I'll pick three. The ballot then contains candidates from both districts and physically allows voters to select more than one candidate from District 2. It shouldn't allow you to select more than one candidate from District 2. Why were the districts put together in one vote? Why was that? They basically put the Concord Community School Board vote for both districts in one area to vote on instead of splitting them by district. So usually when you're on a ballot, I know that I'm explaining this to people who already know, but just in case you've never voted before, Usually you go, oh, Concord Community School Board, District 1. Here's the District 1 candidates. Pick 1, pick 2, whatever it is. And then you'll vote for District 2 underneath that. Well, they put District 1 and District 2 all together in one vote. And then told you to pick no more than three. What a colossal screw-up by election officials. The ballot then contains candidates from both districts and physically allows voters to select more than one candidate from District 2. Okay. Now, according to state law... The election had to be certified by the afternoon of November 28th. This is the type of thing that Trump was, was posting about the other day on Truth Social when people are accusing him of saying that he wanted to terminate the Constitution. That's not what he said. You know, you get to a point where somebody has clearly been wronged here, and Stacey McDowell has clearly been wronged. There needs to be some kind of a fix for that. And the fix should probably be that there's a re-election. But that's not what is going on here. Now, I know that re-elections are expensive. I understand that. But nonetheless, do we want the person who actually won to be in office or not? So McDowell says that she is currently in a fact-gathering and planning stage to see what steps she can take to object to this last-minute rule change. And uh, she says that she believes that there was a targeted effort to make sure that I didn't take the seat. My end goal would be to get all of the information that I need to pursue litigation to get my seat back. So who the heck knows how this is going to turn out? But this is the type of nonsense that we've seen all over the country. And this is where I'm going to take issue with Ben Shapiro coming up. Now, I like Ben. Don't get me wrong. But Ben Shapiro has made a critical error in his latest column. And it's an error that I've warned you about for several years. People have to stop making this mistake. And Ben has made that mistake in his latest column about the Twitter files and the election of 2020. But this is, again, another example. We've got, you know, at least a dozen of them. We have another example of an individual who won suddenly, automatically, out of nowhere. There's a rule change, and they lose 844 votes like that. And it makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense, but that's what ended up happening. So, like I said, it just, I don't know exactly what can be done to fix this. I know that she's going to seek out legal counsel on it, but I, I don't know that there is a mechanism for her to fix the situation. And this is exactly what Trump was talking about on Truth Social. We don't have a system in place where if we find out that somebody cheated and we find out that somebody was cheated, there's no way to fix it. 
there was a situation in Las Vegas, Nevada, Clark County. Okay, Clark County, after the 2020 election, there was massive voter fraud that was uncovered in Clark County and confirmed by the Department of Motor Vehicles. So Stephen Crowder actually contacted individuals in Clark County, Nevada, and asked them about it because we had proof that people were using their timeshares to cast illegal votes. This is a common thing that happens. But the election had already been certified. So when the election is certified, once it's certified, it doesn't matter what you uncover later. This is why this time frame thing that Trump was was posting about on Truth Social over the weekend is so frustrating. His position is, I don't care what rules exist, even constitutional rules. When I'm cheated out of an election, I should not have a, a end time to be able to challenge and get my seat back. That was what Trump was saying. Now, you may not believe that the election was stolen, but there's plenty of evidence that there was a real problem with that election. But beyond that, his contention wasn't to get rid of the entire Constitution. He wanted to get rid of the provisions that would prevent somebody who had been cheated from regaining their seat, which I think is a valid argument for somebody to make. We had that situation in Nevada where you actually had an official with the government of Nevada in Clark County saying, well, what do you want us to do? Even even if this was enough fraudulent votes to overturn the election, there's nothing in the legal code that allows us to take somebody out of a certified election and replace them with their opponent. There isn't a legal mechanism that exists to do that. That was the position of the government of Nevada. And for those of you who are just hearing about it, yes, there was massive voter fraud uncovered in Clark County, Nevada, that may very well have switched the state to Trump. We don't know the total number because they didn't do a full audit, but we know that there was a lot and it could very well have been enough. But the important point is that the government officials said we don't have a mechanism to change the results of an election after it's certified. So I don't know that Stacey's going to be able to do anything here, but I certainly hope that there is some kind of an avenue. Then we'll get into the Ben Shapiro piece and why I take issue with it. Coming up, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, and also filling in for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, Wawa, 107.5 FM. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson, covering for Pat Miller today on News Talk 1190, 107.5 FM. Little Birdie told me that you're going to get a lot of me next week in Fort Wayne, by the way, so be prepared. Lots of apologies every day for Pat. Somebody told me to prepare my apology today, and I'll be honest, I don't know which thing to apologize for yet because I've got three things that could go really bad. (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, we'll we'll see. I'm reserving my apology until we we get to that point. I have to apologize to Pat every time I run his show. Uh, we are live streaming on Rumble. Go to rumble.com slash Casey the host. Hit that subscribe button if you're new over there. If you prefer Odyssey, we're also on Odyssey. And uh, Odyssey is uh, an alternative to YouTube. They're actually older than Rumble, but they got live streaming after Rumble. So I've only recently started streaming on Odyssey. But I'm building a personal relationship with Odyssey. And some pretty exciting things will be happening soon on that platform. So whichever you prefer, Rumble or Odyssey, at Casey the host on either one. Okay. Um, here's where, and again, I like Ben Shapiro a lot, but one of the things about conservatives is that we, we are not afraid to disagree with one another at all. And I respectfully disagree with Ben Shapiro because he's made the mistake that I told all of you to stop making when talking about the 2020 election. When you get members of the media or anybody else going, there's no widespread election fraud. The first thing you do is not go on the defensive you go on offense. Remember, that is the motto of this show. And I'm, I'm pleased that I'm seeing everybody in the political right saying this when we started it. Go on offense. When they ask you, there's no, or they tell you there's no widespread voter fraud, your response to that is, what's your definition of widespread? Is Wayne County, Michigan widespread? Is the... Machines in Michigan that are, was it Ant, Antrim County or something like that, that flipped votes from Democrats to Republicans. And that's not a conspiracy theory. That's widely acknowledged by everybody, including the Dominion Voting Systems Company. Was that widespread? What's your definition of widespread? And you need, you need them to answer that question before you move on. And what you typically find is that they can't answer that question. The truth of the matter is, fraud happens in every election. It's undeniable. Anybody who denies it is a silly person who is not worthy of your attention. The question is, does the fraud happen enough to flip elections and which elections did that flip? We know that on a local level, it flips elections. We just saw something like that happen with the Concord School Board. Somebody who won suddenly had 844 votes taken away from her, and now she hasn't won. And nobody seems to really know why. Ben Shapiro, Twitter files show 2020 election was rigged, not stolen. But Trump is hurting himself. And Trump is hurting himself a little bit, not much. Um, Mostly what's happening is, you know, uh, conservative Inc. and everybody else who doesn't like him they're twisting his words. I, I covered that yesterday. <laughs> Twitter files show 2020 was rigged, not stolen. Sorry, Ben. It's the same thing. If you rig an election to ensure that one side wins, you have stolen it from the other side. There is no difference. And you got to stop playing word games when you say, that, oh, it was rigged, but it wasn't stolen. No, it's the same thing. If you rig an election, you're stealing it from the other person. It really is that simple. So stop doing that stuff, okay? Stop splitting hairs and getting into word semantics and mental gymnastics and that sort of thing. Rigged is stolen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we got more coming up in just a couple of minutes. MNC News Time is 3.30. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime.
Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I'm also covering for Pat Miller today on News Talk 1190-107.5 FM. So a couple of days ago, we had uh, representatives from Heritage Action for America come on the program. They told us about the ESG event. That's Environmental, Social, and Governance. Um, this is a, it's, it's to business what critical race theory is to education. And Heritage Action is putting on a free event at the Holiday Inn in Mishawaka in two days, December 8th at 6.30 p.m. You are welcome to go. Recommend RSVPing on incalltoaction.com. And joining us to discuss this is Pastor Lucas Miles. And, and Pastor, always good to talk to you, although I never call you Pastor when we, we speak to each other in person, so I don't know why I did that. That's that's a new one. But uh, how are hey, you doing, man? To come on the program. Yeah, it's like we're all formal now, I guess. So well, I'm just wondering if I'm going to be one of the three things that you have to apologize to uh, Pat about in Fort Wayne. I don't think so. Pat's got a pretty religious audience. I think that, I think that will be fine, okay. unless unless they go to one of those woke churches you're always writing about. What's the title of your uh, forthcoming book, by the way? So I my my current book is the Christian Left. Mm-hmm. And I have a new book coming out um, that I'm actually not allowed to say the title quite yet. So, oh. But it's going to be on wokeness in the church and kind of continue in that vein. All right. And when's it supposed to be out? It's out in April. All right. Perfect. Can't wait to can't wait to see it. Yep. Yep. Okay. We'll be announcing very soon. I'll definitely let you know that. I appreciate that. The other thing you have going, this is relatively new, but also really exciting. And I wanted to plug this because uh, you've got a television show now. On, um, have you settled on Epoch or Epic TV? <laughs> uh, so I would say Epoch. Yes, Epoch TV. Yeah, but I, I think that I think that both work. In, you know, because everybody has got a different pronunciation. For right. Uh, so Epoch TV, and of course, this is yep. affiliated with uh, the Epoch Times, and great Correct. publication. Good people over there, and your show is fantastic. You do a lot of great work on there. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're we're super excited. It it airs every Wednesday at eight PM on their platform. Of course, you can if you're you know a subscriber, you can go back in and watch archives and everything else anytime you want to. Uh, and we've covered you know we've covered ESG, we've covered CRT, we've covered you know all the the alphabet soup, BLM, you know everything else that's there. Uh, uh, and really specifically, the angle that I take the show is called Church and State with Lucas Miles, and the angle that I take is really looking at these social cultural issues, political issues through a faith lens and how they affect uh, uh, religious freedom, how they affect, you know, Christians, but also how it, how it affects other religions as well. I think that, that uh, um, you know, the, the issues facing Christians today are unique in some ways, but I think that what, what uh, uh, Christians oftentimes are the canary in the cage. When Christians start, you know, experiencing, um, you know, really oppression against religious freedom, the other faiths are soon to follow. And you can go to theepictimes.com and you can search for Lucas Miles or Church and State and you'll find like teasers and things like that with some transcripts. Yep. And if they haven't Absolutely. signed up, they can sign up right there and watch the full episodes. And they're fantastic. I mean, it's you just finished up season one or you will tomorrow, right? Tomorrow's your last episode of season yeah, one, correct? Yeah, tomorrow's last episode in season one. Yes, absolutely. Yep. It's been a, it's been a great run. There's 12 episodes in the first season. It's been super exciting. And we film those here locally and then, uh, you know, ship it to New York and everything else. I'm actually headed out to, uh, to meet with some of the Epoch Times uh, team next week, and they've just been incredible to work with. That's awesome. So what is uh, tomorrow's episode going to be about? So tomorrow's episode, i got to think about that, because we record these all kind of in advance. Uh, okay. uh, tomorrow's episode is on, um, I believe this episode is on uh, persecution 
around uh, around the globe against Christians. And so some really interesting conversations that have come out of that um, and uh, kind of some unique things that we were able to find. Uh, definitely a great episode. All right. So if you're an Epic TV subscriber, look up Church and State with Lucas Miles. Watch that. Show him some love. Again, local guy. Produces it here locally as well. All right, uh, Lucas, I wanted to have you on to talk about ESG. We've got Heritage Action coming to town in two days, putting on a free event for everybody. That's how important Heritage believes this is. It's a free event, and you have gone around the country giving talks about ESG. Break it down, brass tacks, for the layman out there who might be listening to this show. What is ESG, and why is it important to learn about it? Absolutely. I mean, ESG is something that is, if it's not already, it's going to affect every single person on the planet and certainly in this country. Uh, ESG stands for Environmental Social Governance. And essentially, it's a, uh, a sort of a corporate America uh, uh, or really, you know, corp- global corporate um, uh, um, philosophy that's, that's, you know, arguably based upon what we would call the Chinese uh, Communist Party's social credit score. And so in the same way in China, people have not just a credit score, but they have their social credit score. Now we are scoring businesses today um, based upon uh, not just their performance as a company or how well they're doing on the stock exchange or, or you know, uh, how efficient they are. Now we're, we're, you know, basically rating them upon their adherence to these ESG principles that might be their use of clean energy. It might be, uh, um, you know, their, uh, their, uh, you know, if, if they're really applying, you know, uh, CRT or equity within their workplace and their hiring principles, all of these things goes into kind of producing their score. And, and, you know, that in of itself is problematic, but where it becomes really problematic is when that starts dripping down on a personal level. And the thought that, you know what, uh, you know what, you you uh, you had a tweet this week that we didn't like, Casey. So that electric car of yours, we're just going to shut it off on Tuesdays and Thursdays because who wants you really to think about what you did? <laughs> you know, and that's, that, that, that sounds extreme for people, but that's where this is going. And we are seeing instances like this, uh, uh, you know, around the globe. You know, of course, the extremes are China where they're welding people's doors shut. Right. Uh, but we're seeing this in some European countries, and we're seeing this here proposed in America in various markets. And so... This is something that we definitely, definitely need to be educated on and well aware of. Now, for those of you out there going, they're not going to shut down your electric car. You should understand that the European Union representative from Luxembourg proposed this very thing just like three months ago. Absolutely. (laughs) And we saw the same thing already in this country when it came to, you know, the thermostats in Colorado. You had had the, you know, you had basically saying, okay, you know what? You like your house a little too, uh, a little too hot or a little too cold. So we have to set this. You know, just we're going to we know better than you. You know, we already have, you know, sort of this this greater, you know, socialist Marxist construct that's happening where we know how to raise our your kids better than you do. So we're going to tell you how to do that in the schools. We're going to we're, in fact, going to do that for you. And you don't really have a say in it. We're seeing that in the medical system. Uh, We're seeing that now in corporate America uh, and how that's rolling out. And so really, it's it's you know, we could call it we could call it, you know, corporate fascism. We could call it corporate Marxism. But it's all you know, it, essentially what has happened, I have a friend that was talking to a, a very high-level individual in Asia years ago, and, and he's been kind of a forerunner in, in, in seeing this stuff, kind of uh, forecasting it in some ways. But, but basically, this, this individual told him there's, there's two ways to bypass the Constitution, and that's either identity, identity politics or public health. And ESG utilizes both of those things 
in order to really do a work around individual rights and, and freedoms and liberties in order to begin, you know, applying kind of a Marxist construct and controlling the masses, you know, through whatever the, you know, the, 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 the powers that be deem is appropriate at that given time. And you're going to be at this event with Heritage Action as well, correct? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I can't I'll... wait. I mean, Her- Her- and Heritage is incredible. They do just such a great job. They have a great handle on this event uh, or th- this topic and, and so many others. Yeah, I'm going to be there as well. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I will give everybody some information. But now I have a decision to make, Lucas. Do I hold you over through a commercial break or do I go long here? Do you have time to hold over? Yeah, yeah I get time to hold over. That's fine. Okay, I'm going to put you on hold and we're going to bring you back up because I want to talk about a couple of other issues with you as well in addition to the ESG stuff and, of course, your uh, television show, which is taking off. We'll be back with Pastor Lucas Miles in just a couple of minutes here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel and covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, WoWA 107.5 FM. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson, also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190 WoWo. And again, I want to thank the Fort Wayne audience for joining us. My guest right now is Pastor Lucas Miles. And if you haven't done so yet, go subscribe to Epoch TV over at the Epoch Times, and you can see his new show, Church and Stage, is wrapping up season one new episode final episode of the season airs tomorrow definitely check it out it's a fantastic program Uh, we're lucky to have lucas in our area being from this area this is his home base and we're talking also about the esg event the heritage action for america is putting on for free in mishawaka on the 8th and you can rsvp to that event by going to incalltoaction.com And we've got a link directly to that. Now, Lucas, I wanted to cover a couple of other things because you've got a new project out there that I thought was interesting. I don't know if you heard my show the other day, but I said most churches in this area are woke. And I believe that woke church is not real church. This is my feeling on the situation. But you have a new project that I think might be very interesting to people out there who started to notice that their church maybe isn't what it used to be and wokeness has started to creep in. Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, recently launched here through our ministry. So I pastor a church locally called Influence Church. Uh, It's in the old Harris Prairie uh, Church of Christ building. If people know the area and they've been here for a while, uh, around the corner of 23 and Capitol and Granger. Uh, And out of this, you know, we we have several different ministries that run here, including my show on on Epoch. But we've launched this new, um, really what I'm calling a pastoral, a national pastoral initiative. And so with some of the success that I've had uh, with my books and shows and these things, I, I've been able to, you know, get a lot more exposure to pastors around the country and, and Christians around the country. And what I'm seeing is what you described is that it's hard oftentimes for local Christians, whether it's in this area or another area, to find a church that's not, that's not woke or that is not uh, starting to drift into what I call the dark waters of progressive ideology. 
And so uh, we have created this initiative. It's called the American Pastor Project. The website's AmericanPastorProject.org, O-R-G. And so they can go to AmericanPastorProject.org. And specifically, it's for pastors, could be lay pastors, could be a, a volunteer pastor, could be a retired pastor, any, or, or a Christian podcaster or radio host that has a platform in which they are sharing Christian messaging, uh, messaging and teaching. And we are asking them to make a commitment to a basic doctrinal statement. It should work across any denomination. It's just essential Christian teachings uh, that, that really have been held to since the early Christian creeds in the church. And, and also to make a commitment to not use their pulpit to promote wokeism, uh, critical race theory, socialism, um, um, CRT, and, and uh, you know, abortion, all these different things that we're seeing come out of pro- what, what is being called progressive Christianity, or what I call in my book, The Christian Left. And you could, by the way, if you go to AmericanPastorProject.org, if you're looking for a church, if you're one of those people who's, you know, looking around going, hey, my church isn't doing what it used to do and it's you know this woke stuff has started to creep in and maybe there's been a change in leadership at your church recently or something of that nature and and you just need to find a place um first of all if you're in this area i recommend influence church and again that's lucas's church but also if you're in a different listening area if you go to americanpastorproject.org they have a find a church area so you can actually go and and find a church near you that signed on to this and if you go to a church that you feel would fit the bill on this, maybe talk to them and ask them to go here and, you know, exactly. sign up. And then, of course, now people have more churches to choose from. Looks like you got churches from obviously Indiana, but Michigan, Ohio, New York, yeah, Florida. We're just, we're just getting rolled out. Yeah, we we actually had one from Hawaii that just signed up here uh, the other day with us. And, Perfect. And so we 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 you know I, I think yours is the second interview I've done on this. So after the first year, we're going to be rolling out a national campaign. We're hitting all the major shows kind of talking about this in the faith markets and, uh, is, and, and conservative markets as well. And so, uh, you know, our goal is to get 30,000 pastors to, make, to sign this, this commitment. And that's about 10 percent of the clergy in America. Um, you know, it's going to take a lot, of, a lot of groundwork to get to those guys. Uh, finding them is half the battle. But I'll tell you what, we had a meeting here as a soft launch, uh, and I had 30 pastors from the greater area here that showed up to hear about this. And, and most of those pastors made a commitment in signing the statement. They became kind of the early signers on this, which was super exciting. And, you know, some of them, they're maybe not churches that everybody's heard of or that they maybe even knew they were there. Some of them are smaller churches. Some of them are bigger churches. But, but the, I, was, I was encouraged by that. Uh, and I would say if your pastor hasn't signed this, this is a great test of do I go to a woke church, take this link to your pastor. And there's no denomination. There's no cost. There's no... There's no, it doesn't require them to, you know, have any sort of official affiliation with us. In fact, by your pastor signing this, they don't even have to have their church listed. They could sign it anonymously. So really what you're asking is, as a pastor, do you hold to basic Christian t- doctrine, and are you committed to not using the pulpit to promote leftism and wokeism and all the other things that go with that? And if a pastor is unwilling to sign that or unwilling to give that the time of day, to me that's a pretty good sign that you're probably in the wrong place. Well, Pastor Lucas Miles, again, your church, Influence Church, which is, uh, it starts with an N, so nfluencechurch.org, if people in this area would like to attend and learn more about you. And they do have a kids programming on Sundays as well. I know that was a concern yeah. of, of mine. Um, so, Pastor, I mean, I appreciate it. Best of luck on the TV show, man. It's been going great. Looks awesome. Uh, the AmericanPastorProject.org is, is looking like it's great as well. So sign up for Epoch TV. 
make sure you go to AmericanPastorProject.org or take that to your pastor and uh, go to Influence Church in Granger. Anything else that I missed? Because you're doing a ton of stuff. Hey, I'm looking forward just to seeing people on Thursday night uh, at the at the ESG event and coming out. And, you know, I'll be there with you and, you know, look for uh, the guy with the spiky hair and uh, come say hi. <laughs> All right, Lucas, I appreciate it, man. Thank you much. Thanks, Casey. All right, All right take bye. care. Pastor Lucas Miles, and again, the event that is being put on by Heritage Action for America is on December 8th, Mishawaka, Indiana. It's at the Holiday Inn there. You can get the RSVP link by going to incalltoaction.com. That's Indiana Call to Action. incalltoaction.com. RSVP for the event. They will take some people at the door, but they prefer RSVP just so they can have all the seating arranged and everything taken care of. So, incalltoaction.org. Thank you, Pastor Lucas Miles, for joining us today. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, and covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190-1075-FM. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, 107.5 FM. We are live streaming on Rumble. Go to rumble.com slash Casey the host. Rumble.com slash Casey the host. Make sure you hit that subscribe button too, please. I would really appreciate that. Uh, If you are on the live stream on Rumble, I did post all of the links that we were talking about with Pastor Lucas Miles in the Rumble rants and the the uh, comment section, so you can go find them and actually go ahead and uh, check out those uh, those links. So definitely check them out. All right, Duke University. Duke University has refused a kidney transplant to a dying girl for refusing the COVID vaccine. Uh, two parents, Chrissy and Lee Hicks, both North Carolina Army veterans, have eleven children including a 14-year-old girl, Yulia, who is a rescued orphan from Ukraine. Now, Yulia has been shuffled around the U.S. and transferred between caretakers several times and has been finally adopted by the Hicks, who feel a strong determination and a sense of duty to give their daughter some stability and justice in life, according to this uh, article here from National File. Now, despite coming this far, Yulia is now being denied a critical organ transplant due to her vaccination status. Tragically, Yulia's health has been slipping due to a genetic kidney disorder. So the Hicks family has sought help and have been embraced and encouraged by Durham Duke medical staff for being a serious-minded family that cared well for her and who followed all medical procedures and guidelines given to them. 
Um, so they, you know, moving along in the transplant process. So Duke has basically been very up on the family, very praising of the family. However, on November 29th, things changed. To think that a committee can determine someone's life is terrifying. This is, without a doubt, medical tyranny and has become the med- what has become of the medical community. How does the refusal of a shot that is known to cause many health issues and does not stop the spread of a disease deny a 14-year-old life-saving therapy? How does that happen in America? Today, we are sad. Tomorrow is a new day, and God is there with an answer for us. That is Chrissy Hicks, who posted on the family's website for the little girl. Um, so what ended up happening is, I guess, the the board got together, even though they had been praising this family for getting her all prepared for the transplant, and ultimately they, the board said, oh, she's not vaccinated. No, she doesn't get a new kidney. She can die. And let's let's be honest, Duke, this is what you're saying. Um, if you don't get the vaccine, you're you're going to die. We're not going to save your life. Now, I catch a lot of heat from some people about not being an organ donor. And I may change that status at some point in time, but one of the reasons I'm not an organ donor is I can't pick who gets my organs. And I would like to have a set of criteria for my organs. And with respect to all of you, I don't want a 70-year-old guy getting my dang organs. Sorry, you're 70 years old. Frankly, you've had a good run. You should probably die if that is the course. You aren't worthy of an organ transplant for my organs. Somebody else wants to give you their organs? Super cool. I would rather my organs go to a kid. But because the medical community will not allow me to set criteria for who can receive my organs, here's what I know will happen. Rich, powerful people will get my organs and people like Yulia will die. And frankly, that irritates me. So in my infinite wisdom and vengeful nature, I'm going to take everybody with me. Now, some of you might say that that is selfish, eh, whatever. Don't really care. This is a 14-year-old girl who is dying, and Duke is saying, we're going to let her die if she doesn't get a vaccine that won't save her or anybody else anyway. What a stupid thing to say. Especially knowing the medical literature on what the vaccine does to people under the age of 30. Because it's not good. Up to the late November phone call uh, between Hicks and the Duke medical staff, the Hicks family believed that the vaccination for Yulia was an option and that they could opt out and still get the surgery. Lee Hicks wrote about the timeline of events that got them to the phone call. Um, They they go through all of it. I don't need to read all that for you. Uh, The main thing here is there's another thing that I talked about before when it came to kidney transplants because we've talked about kidney transplants before on the show. And another thing about kidney transplants is that they generally don't like you to be vaccinated anywhere around the surgery. In any other normal circumstance, ladies and gentlemen, if you're getting a kidney transplant, they recommend you not be vaccinated within a time frame around the surgery because it causes all sorts of potential issues. That has gone out the window. We've talked about this in great length. I pulled up the actual medical literature of this. And the recommendations for vaccination for organ transplants, particularly kidney. They don't like people getting vaccinated right around the time of transplant. It it increases the risk and causes complications. 
So generally speaking, when you get a transplant like this, you're not supposed to be vaccinated. And suddenly, during the era of COVID, people who have no business being vaccinated anyway are being required to have vaccinations or to die. This is a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. This is a 14-year-old who qualifies for the transplant. Meets all qualifications for the transplant. They're happy to do the transplant. The only reason they're not doing it is because they won't comply with something that makes no sense to comply with. That's it. But an octogenarian, nothing against octogenarians, but an octogenarian who has the vaccine could get her kidney. That doesn't make any sense. Not that I want the older person to die. I certainly do not. But if we're talking about value of the organs, longevity, 14-year-old wins. I think most decent people will understand and respect that. During the 15-minute phone call, both the Hicks parents wondered if they were being told what the official hospital policy was because uh, between the members on the conference call that day, there was a great deal of confusion as to why the shot was being required of them or if it was based on conflicting statements by the medical experts. So essentially what is happening, and there's a recording of the phone call and everything else that I'll link to in the Daily Show prep today, but you know, essentially what they're saying is um, there was confusion even among the medical staff as to why the, the vaccine was being required. And the reason for that is you generally don't get vaccinated right around the time you're getting an organ transplant. That is long-established medical practice. This is brand new stuff. We can't require you to do anything, but we can deny you because you are not following our recommendations, says Catherine Thomas. During the call, Chambers insisted that the COVID vaccine would boost Yulia's health, even while admitting that the vaccine does not prevent anyone from getting COVID. Now, here's the other thing that we do know. We've got clinical trials, clinical trials, showing that in people, under the, especially under the age of, of 30 years old, The vaccine is more dangerous than the virus, and it doesn't boost the immune system. It weakens it. You know, you've got a bunch of pencil-pushing idiots telling everybody that a 14-year-old girl who's done everything that's been asked of her up to this point is going to have to die or go somewhere else And start the process all over again. Simply because of some stupid loyalty to pseudoscience, greed, and medical tyranny. And I don't really know how else to phrase it. We just went over the new study that confirmed old studies just the other day. N95 masks do not slow or stop the spread of COVID. Which we have always known. Because every single study done on N95 masks shows that they do not reduce or slow the spread of the flu, and they're similar in particle size. You're not hearing about that on the news. They're not telling you about it. It's published. Published this week. It's a clinical trial that is also peer-reviewed. It is the highest gold standard of medical requirements that we've ever seen. But you're still not hearing about it. There's a 14-year-old girl who needs a kidney, who meets all of the requirements. The only reason these administrators 
are denying her is because the family will not comply. So when Pastor Lucas Miles and I have told you many times before that, you know, at some point in time, they're going to shut down your electric vehicle. And it won't just have to be electric vehicles because the Biden administration has required that there be a shutoff in all new production vehicles going forward. They're going to be able to just shut your car down. Now, it's listed as a tool for police. But don't think for a second that they're not going to use it for other reasons. And I was telling you the truth about the, the I guess, ambassador. No, it's not ambassador. Whoever the representative is in the European Union's parliamentary system from Luxembourg recommended that we shut down electric vehicles like three days a week. That nobody be able to drive for three days, three days a week. And that they had the ability to do that remotely, so why not? If you wanted to trans- transport yourself around town, you had to use public transportation or walk. They're going to do all of these things to get you to comply. So you have some choices to make. You have some decisions that you need to make. Do you comply and put yourself in grave danger? Several more young people who are healthy drop dead this week. I read an article today. Maybe I'll go over this. Nah, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but I'm going to go over this here um, in just a second. Just read an article today. It was in our, our one of our local papers here. I think they just syndicated it through the AP. And it's that, hey, brand new. Never had this health issue before. We totally don't know where it came from. It's a medical mystery. But women who get pregnant, all of a sudden, there is a brand new serious risk of high blood pressure. Nobody knows why it's happening. Totally brand new. Never happened in in medical history, but now they're saying like, oh, yeah, like 10% of all women who get pregnant now are going to have high blood pressure. We've never seen that before, and we have no idea why it's happening. Sure. More coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, also covering for Pat Miller on Newstalk Everybody, Casey Hendrickson here for Faber's B Window. They've got a ton of great things happening right now. Their Black Friday sale has been extended through December 15th. So right now, you got once a year employee pricing. Once a year employee pricing. And up to 52% off regular prices, additional 10% manufacturer reductions. Financing is available with no interest and no payments for up to 22 months. And you also have an opportunity to enter to win one of three $12,000 home improvement prizes. So whether you're looking for windows, doors, siding, bathroom remodels, or more, 
Go to Faber's B Window. Once again, they're online at bwindow.com. Set up your free consultation today. And as always, let Faber's B Window know that I sent you. All right. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Show. I got five minutes here, so let me just kind of break this down. Um, so Fauci, we have the transcript of his testimony, and Fauci said, I don't recall 174 times when he was asked about emails that he sent, interviews that he gave, and other information about his COVID response. 174 times. Now, as I told you, I think it was last week. It's possible that Fauci's not lying. I will let you decide if Fauci is lying when he says, I don't recall. Or it's also possible that the vaccine and COVID both lead to memory issues. There's been research on both of them that showed that there is a connection between both long COVID as well as the vaccines causing long COVID symptoms which affect the memory. So maybe Fauci has been jabbed like 20 times. Maybe he's reaping the benefits of said jabs and his memory is gone. Or, you know, he's just Fauci and he's a pathological liar and he's just lying to you. So the recent deposition, the transcripts have been made publicly available this week. The former COVID czar, Dr. Anthony Fauci, appeared to forget many important details while being questioned about his involvement. Now, we knew that. What we didn't know is how many times he said it. (laughs) A hundred and seventy four times he said, I don't recall. He used some variation of that nearly 200 times. Now, what stuck out to the, the Daily Wire's Greg Wilson is that Fauci gave one particular lie that he really found to be egregious. Here's the whopper that scored a John Blutarski level 0.0 on the laugh test. Quote, I'm vaguely familiar with the fact that EcoHealth Alliance has been doing research on trying to understand the back coronavirus emergency, told lawyers, alleging that the feds colluded with social media to to, uh, chill debate about COVID policies. That the man who inspired in Fauci, we trust yard signs and St. Fauci votive candles could make that statement with a straight face is a testament to his pathological aversion to the truth. This is, again, the Daily Wire. EcoHealth Alliance is the federal grant-grubbing nonprofit, air quote, run by Fauci's longtime friend, Peter Dacic. Or Dacic. It's been so long since I've said it. I think it's Dacic. Fauci's National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases gave EcoHealth Alliance a $600,000 grant that wound up funding illegal gain-of-function experiments with back coronaviruses at the lab in Wuhan, China. Um, there's a lot that I can go into all of that. I, I, I don't need to give you tons of it. But, you know, for, for uh, Greg Wilson over at the Daily Wire, his, a lot of what Fauci said, or should say forgot, during that deposition was laughable. But the fact that he went out there and said, I didn't know much about EcoHealth Alliance. I'm vaguely familiar with EcoHealth Alliance and some of the research they've been doing. That's a lie. He's your buddy. He's your friend. We got emails, man. We got email. You gave him hundreds of thousands of dollars. Don't tell me you're vaguely familiar with it. You know exactly what's going on. We also know that Fauci and um, Dotchak, I think is how you pronounce it. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. Um, that Fauci and him were colluding with one another 
in steering other scientists who believed that the virus came from a lab, which, of course, it did. I can say that with 90% certainty. It's laughable that anybody holds a different opinion, to be honest with you. And it's been laughable that anybody's held a different opinion to that since December of 2019 when I first told you this came out of that stupid lab in Wuhan. Fauci has been asked about this by Senator Rand Paul. He has denied that experiments, that the experiments which involved infecting humanized mice with a genetically altered version of coronavirus amounted to gain-of-function research. And the reason he denied that, remember when Fauci and Paul got in that argument over gain-of-function? And it's important to remind everybody that Senator Rand Paul is a medical doctor. But the only reason that Fauci can say that it wasn't gain-of-function is because they changed the definition of -of gain-of-function to hide this. Because it's, it was illegal at the time that it was being funded. That's that's the issue. So they changed the definition so that way it wouldn't be illegal to fund gain-of-function research. So just absolutely laughable. 174 times Fauci said, I don't recall. And nearly 200 times he used some variation of that. MNC News Time is 4.30. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson, also covering for Pat Miller today on Newstalk 1190, 107.5 FM. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, this is, no, that was, the, that was the thing that I was talking about earlier with the high blood pressure. So I thought maybe I saved something additional. My apologies. Forget about what I, what I said. Uh, let's talk about this uh, crazy teacher in California. And remember... While we're talking about this, always know that teachers are the true heroes. All of them. There's not a single, solitary, bad, or incompetent teacher in the entire country. Every single, right, Alyssa? Every single teacher that you've ever had, Alyssa, has been flawless in every possible way. Casey, why are you saying that? Because inevitably, what's going to happen is I'm going to tell you how crappy this stupid teacher is in California And I'm going to get an email. How do I know it's going to happen? It happens every single time. About how, you don't understand what it's like to be a teacher. Yes, I do. You don't understand what it's like for us to do our job. Yes, I do. I've been there. But it's irrelevant. When I criticize a bad teacher, I'm not criticizing all of you. But inevitably, it happens. Inevitably. And here's when I, when I get a teacher who reacts that way when I tell you about a bad teacher, all I assume about the teacher who responded was that they are a bad teacher and they personalized the things that I said on the show about somebody else because they believe that it applies to them. For example, a teacher in the People's Republic of California who is a high school English teacher 
who, for the record, are the worst teachers. High school English teachers. Here's the thing. And I'm sure that many of you are very nice and good high school English teachers. But I think every teacher that I legitimately hated was a high school English teacher. Mrs. Horton, I hope you stub your toe every morning. What an awful human being she was. If she's still alive. And I hope she is, just so she can stub her toe every single morning. On something hard, too, not something soft. Like something really jagged with a sharp corner, like maybe aluminum. Just, like, really hard. Like, I want her toenail to peel back. Don't tell me to stop. You don't know what that woman did. Literally caught her changing my grade because she didn't like me. On more than one occasion. Did she get fired? No. Why? Teachers unions. A California high school teacher claimed that she does not teach proper grammar in her classroom. Now, I don't know. Alyssa, if you're an English teacher and you don't teach proper grammar, should you be an English teacher? Probably not. Now, why does she not teach proper grammar in the classroom? Because proper grammar is, are you ready for it? And you've heard this on this show a million times because I've been talking about it for years. But for some of you, this is brand new stuff. Bless you. Proper grammar is white supremacy. So this pasty white teacher won't teach white supremacy by teaching proper grammar in the classroom when she's a flipping English teacher. True story, there was once a teacher strike in the Clark County School District where I'm from in Las Vegas. You know what the teacher strike was over? Math teachers didn't feel it was right to give word problems to their class. Why? Because they weren't English teachers. This is a true story. Math teachers went on strike because they had to use word problems and they're not English teachers. According to Fox News, as a tenured English teacher at Oroville High School, Marta Schaefer began this school year by teaching parts of linguistics as a way of fighting white supremacy in my classes. Naturally, she posted this on TikTok because leftists, the only thing, here's the thing, leftists don't have much brain, okay? So what they do to fill the vacuum inside their cranium is they fill that empty space with ego. And then they go onto the internet and they tell everybody about the wonderful things that they're doing. And then they get really mad at all of you when you get upset about it. She posted on TikTok that her goal was to be inclusive of all kinds of ways that we use language. Uh Uh-huh. She said, as an educator, I am constantly worried if I'm the problem. You are. You're the problem. Every student who leaves your classroom and doesn't have proper grammatical skills and they suffer in their life because of it, that's your fault. You are part of the problem. What do I mean by that? Well, public education is an institution that upholds lots of problematic systems in our society, like white supremacy and misogyny and colonization, etc. Right. What do you think the odds are that this English teacher does not own a dictionary, Alyssa? Because I think they're pretty high. (laughs) Colonization, huh? In a public school English class? Okay.
I'd love to see what that looks like. Well, then again, I'm from Clark County School District and does have the highest rate of teen pregnancy. So I suppose there's a possibility that colonization is a real thing, at least in the Clark County School District. Shaver said that expecting students to use proper syntax and grammar, quote, are all made up rules. They're arbitrary. Yes, all of language is made up and arbitrary. But because of it, we have set standards in society, so that way we can continue communicate with one another. That's that's kind of how this works. They were created by Westerners in power, in linguistic justice, and part of white supremacy. Look, um, you babbling idiot. If you go anywhere in the world and you speak the language that they speak there, guess what? People in power were responsible for installing that language in that part of the world, including African tribes including in Asia, including even Amazonian tribes that have not had any contact with Western civilization. Because it's, generally speaking, some leader who ultimately decides with the Council of Elders or whatever it is that, yeah, this will be the language going forward. We're good with that. I wonder if she supports Webster's Dictionary constantly changing words around to be more woke. Does she support those people in power? and changing language around to suit their needs. Let's see. They were created by Westerners in power, in linguistic justice, and part uh, part of white supremacy that runs deep, adding that she tries to undermine that BS in my classroom as much as I can. Do you try to undermine proper grammar and language in your classroom, you pasty, white, liberal Do you try to do that by saying that you have hot sauce in your purse? By talking Ebonics to the kids in your class? Is that what you do? Because they don't like that. They see right through you. We study linguistics and the rules that we actually use to communicate instead of the made-up rules that white supremacy created for when we write papers and stuff. Which is what scholars call the language of power. Well, I mean, only the dumb scholars call it that. Um, But furthermore, I would like to point out that what we usually use to write papers and stuff like that is, um, generally speaking, there's a couple of different um, editorial styles. Actually, Alyssa would probably be really good. I'm not going to do that, but she'd probably be really good as a journalism student. What is the standard that you guys use in journalism? Is the AP standard or use a different one? You use AP at your school? So... What are the odds that the AP standard was created by minorities? Or do you think the AP standard was created by, I don't know, the people that run the AP, white liberals? She continued, well, let's look at how we write essays. Where we start with an introduction that includes a thesis, always cite your sources, use transition words like however and therefore, These are all made-up rules. Well, guess what? They don't use those things in the Russian language, and those are made-up rules, too. Yes, language was created by people. Yes, it was arbitrary. Why? Because we collectively needed a way to communicate with one another. That's how a society works. Then she goes on to say they were created by Westerners in power. Well, only Western languages were created by Westerners in power. Eastern languages were created by Easterners in power. African languages were created by Africans in power, and so on and so forth. This is, look, I, it, I don't know if it's just that she's a leftist and that's why she's stupid or if it's the three or four 
cats that she has and the fact that you have cat brain, which is a real thing. For those of you who don't know, if you have cats who poop and pee in your house, cat brain is a very real thing. And since that seems to be, generally speaking, lonely women who have all of those cats, you tend to run into a real problem with the cat screwing up your mind. I don't know exactly what it is, but something's wrong with this lady's medulla oblongata. She said in another video obtained by, uh, by the outlet, who, who's reporting this? I, I don't even think this is Libs of TikTok who did this one. It might have been. Oh, it was. Libs of TikTok. Okay. She said in another video obtained by the outlet that a student's codes, how they speak at home or with friends, is just as important, if not more than important, than a boss's expectations of how their employee communicate. No. See, slang changes. For example, uh, all of the kids are saying ick right now. What gives you the ick? I'm sorry. That's a stupid, dumb thing to say. And luckily, I'm seeing a lot of younger people resist that in Gen Z. But saying, oh, this gives me the ick. It's, it's a dumb thing to say. Sorry. You sound ridiculous when you say it. Um, so my generation isn't going to say it all that much. Huh? That's an ick. That's an ick that we don't say it? Yeah. It's icky. I felt stupid because I was talking about somebody who got sick the other day. I'm like, yeah, they got the ick. And, but I wasn't referring to like, it gives me the ick, but he just, you know, I was talking about the virus and, and it came out that way. And I'm like, I've got to like cut myself with a razor blade now. What's that? I haven't been on TikTok in like a month, (laughs) but every time, here's the thing. Every time I go away from TikTok for a month and then I post a TikTok, it gets like 150,000 views. So, you know. I don't know if you know, but I'm kind of a thing. So anyway, I'm just kidding, playing around. But you have you have slang. It changes from generation to generation. And you can't use that as a primary source of communication with society. The reason there's societal standards is because everybody in society will understand those standards, whereas slang might be something you use with your friends, your family, uh, maybe even your local or regional community, but it's not going to be something that is universally applicable. And for her to say that something that is limited in its ability to communicate with others is just as important as the overall mass form of communication is, and I'm going to say this, folks, this is an attempt by a pasty white lady to tell minorities to not learn how to communicate with the masses so that your success can be throttled. And when your success is throttled because a pasty white woman didn't teach you properly, You can say the white guy, the white man, white society, whatever it is, is what kept you down. When in fact, it was a white lady who had a stupid little name in your public school in California. And I know that I've said this on the show many, many times, but I want you, if you're you're not white and you're listening to this, I want you to just let me reason with you for just a second, okay? To be successful in a professional environment, there are a few things you need to be able to do. Present yourself professionally, communicate in a reasonable way that people understand, okay? Show up on time and work hard, correct? You do those things, generally speaking, you'll be okay in a professional environment, you'll make money, you'll provide for yourself and your family. What do we have leftists in education from the high school level through the university and collegiate level, and now we're seeing it even in elementary schools? What are they telling you? Being on time is racist. Proper grammar is racist. English literature 
is racist. Working hard, racist. Science, racist. Math, racist. I'm not making those up. There are actual educational professionals at a collegiate university level telling you math is racist, science is racist, while telling you to trust the science. I can't trust the science. Science is racist. You told me so. Now, let me ask you this. For those of you who are not white listening right now, why do you think pasty white liberals don't want you to know how to do math properly? Why do you think they don't want you to think that you need to show up on time to work? Why do you think pasty white liberals don't want you to acknowledge science? Why do you think pasty white liberals don't want you to be able to communicate effectively or to be able to properly read and understand English literature? Why do you think pasty white liberals don't want minorities to get a good education? Why do you think that is? Could it be that you're beholden to one political party for votes and power and half of their platform is that you can't succeed, therefore we're going to give you free crap? The only reason you can't succeed is because people have told you you can't succeed. You absolutely can. But it's going to be very difficult to succeed if you never learn math, never learn science, never learn proper grammar, don't read the classics, and you don't show up on time. And the people that are telling you that you don't need to do any of the things that will get you to become a success in our society, the people telling you you don't need to do those things, are pasty white liberals every damn time. More coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, also covering for Pat Miller. Sorry, Pat. On News Talk 1190, 107.5 FM. Something that gave me the ick the other day at Warren Chiropractic. <laughs> he, okay, he has a new strap. Okay, that came out. They can't. Okay, Dr. Warren at Warren Chiropractic uses a strap around your neck. And this is, I've seen this device before, but he's only used it on me one time before when he first got it. And he's like, hey, would you try this thing with me? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so he did it the other day. Now, obviously, when you get an adjustment, they do your neck. And, you know, they crack your neck and that sort of thing. And I think it feels great, but I know it freaks some people out. Well, this is a new strap where they crack your neck by pulling your neck straight away from your shoulders, not twisting. And I got to tell you, folks, if you go to Warren Chiropractic, I think you should ask him to do it because, dang, it feels good. It really does. It, I, I think the, from halfway down my neck all the way up to my cranium, I think every single one of those vertebrates popped. Every single one. And I felt great. Felt really, really good. So I think it's an awesome thing that you should try out. But, you know, hey, it's just me. If it's not for you, it's not for you. That's okay. 
Go to Warren Chiropractic, warrenchiro.com. If you have neck or back pain, don't deal with it anymore. People who go see a chiropractor are more likely than not to avoid back surgery. Go to warrenchiro.com, click on the new patient tab, and of course, let Warren Chiropractic know that I sent you. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, 107.5 FM. So um, you probably heard Fox News talk about all day that the Congress honored Capitol Capitol Police uh, who were there on January 6th, yada, yada. And they they did these gold medals and they put these congressional gold medals in like four different spots or, or what have you. But they may not have told you is that there was a strategy to have Republicans pass out these gold medals and then to have the the January 6th Capitol officers not shake the hands of Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy as they accepted the congressional gold medals. What a nice little ploy and plot. Now, again, this is why I keep telling you, stop being nice to them. They hate you. Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy were nothing but approving of Capitol Police and critical of everybody who was there on January 6th. And yet all it got them was this. It was an obvious orchestrated event by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. That's what it was about. It was all designed to embarrass Republicans and give them a photo op of the Capitol Police not shaking their hands. I guarantee you the Democrats will use this as campaign ads going forward. Guarantee it. Because that's what this was all about. Let's just ignore the fact that several of the Capitol Police officers testified and gave testimony, straight up lied, and wore black stripes on their uniforms that didn't apply at all. But I digress. More coming up, 95.3 MNC and 1190-1075 FM. My poor guy. We're watching the the local news and they're talking about getting the vaccine or whatever. This dude goes in, rolls up his sleeve. It's the smallest arm I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, oh man, this is embarrassing. You can only tell it's a man's arm because of the hair. And well, yeah, the hair like right, it stops right at the elbow. Like it's almost like he waxed his his bicep. And then they go to a woman who rolled her sleeve up. I swear to God, bigger arm, more muscular, more defined. Like clearly, yeah, it was it was it was embarrassing. Super embarrassing. <sighs> do some push-ups, man. You can do it. It's okay. Sorry. Right. I I'd I would rather be fat than than be that skinny. Just me personally. Just me personally. Everybody's got a preference. Just me personally. Casey Hendrickson here, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And again, I'm also covering for Pat Miller on News Talk 1190, Wawa 
FM. It's been a bit of a heavy day, although I think we had a really good segment with Pastor Lucas Miles. I feel that was informative, but also entertaining and friendly, but been some heavy stuff today. So I wanted to go ahead and just, you know, for those of you getting out of work, you probably had a rough day. Your boss probably sucks. Your coworkers are probably awful. I know that my coworkers are. So what I think that you should probably do is just listen to this story because I'm not going to devote a lot of time to this, but I think that this is so funny that you are going to, you're going to get a good laugh, probably a big belly laugh. I want to prepare you for this so you don't crash your vehicle while driving on the road. This is that funny. Are you ready? John Bolton says that he might run for president against Trump in 2024. Do you know how much I laughed about this earlier today when I read that? I'm so laughed out, I can't laugh about it anymore. John Bolton says he might run against Trump for president in 2024. And I'm sorry, but that's one of the funniest things that I have ever heard. So enjoy your belly laugh for those of you who are laughing. John Bolton, who is literally hated by everybody. He's hated by the left. He's hated by the middle. He's hated by the right. (laughs) I'll tell you what, if uh, John Bolton runs against Trump and he's the only one to run against Trump, Trump is definitely the nominee. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) Oh, my word. Uh, Please make that happen. I just want to see it. I want to see John Bolton's face when he gets obliterated in the primary because he's not even going to win one state. I just want to see his face as he gets obliterated. Okay. This is for Indiana. There's a story that came out here, by the way, huge congratulations to Tony Kennett, Tony Kennett of chalkboard review. Uh, Tony's a friend of ours and we did an event with Tony. um, I don't know, eight, nine months ago, something like that. Maybe it was six months ago, but you know, got to meet him in person finally when he came down. Tony's the guy who he worked for the school system in uh, Indianapolis, and he revealed that they were teaching critical race theory. And all he did was let people know what was on the public server. That's it. He didn't hack anything. He didn't release anything. He didn't break any rules, break any laws, or anything like that. We've had Tony on the show many many times. Good dude. Um, super smart. Really good on educational issues. And but he's you know he also is the founder of Chalkboard Review. Tony Kennett, I want to congratulate him because he has recently joined the Daily Signal, and he is now an education staff writer at the the Daily Signal. I want to get his official title because I don't have his Twitter pulled up, but um, all right, I don't have his official title, so I apologize. He's an investigative columnist for the Daily Signal. There you go, um, and you can follow him on Twitter at the Tonus, which is a great name, by the way. And Tony Kennett is so valuable for education reporting nationwide, but especially in the state of Indiana. And he has an article, his first one for the Daily Signal. What else are they willing to lie about? Indiana school compels staff to hide gender support plans from parents. I've been saying this my entire radio career. Public schools do not want parents involved. Public schools only feed you this line that they are responsible for students. Every, every kid has had this when they get to orientation at school. We're responsible for your safety from the moment you leave your house in the morning to the moment you get home at, at, in the afternoon. And it's a total lie because if you get injured at any point in time in the middle of that, the school does everything they can to not be 
responsible for your personal safety. And then they want to blame parents when kids don't get good grades. They take all of the credit when the kids get good grades. They want to blame parents when the kids don't get good grades. Now, again, I'm not talking about individual teachers. Obviously, most in, I would say that many individual teachers are really, really good at their job. I think that most of them are phoning it in. It's just a day job to them. And then there's very few that are ec excellent teachers. There's a lot of proficient teachers. Very few excellent teachers. Very few what I would call bad teachers. But probably more bad teachers than excellent teachers at this point in time. An email unearthed by parents at an Indiana high school has revealed a district-wide support plan for students undergoing gender transition and a policy to withhold and hide information from parents from students' parents. The email was sent on August 16th by a counselor at Pendleton Heights High School in Pendleton, Indiana. Informed teachers that a student had changed genders, provided new pronouns, and said teachers should not inform the student's parents because they were, quote, not supportive of the decision. Okay. The school's counselor's email included a telling, uh, included by, concluded by telling teachers that if the student wanted to talk, she was to be sent to one of two counselors. It's not yet clear what grades or ages in K-12 through instruction are covered by the school district's policy. This particular email from a high school counselor, however, infuriated local parents and teachers. Jason Payne, and again, I'm reading from Tony Kinnett's article in the Daily Signal. Jason Payne, a parent with a child in that school district, South Madison Community School Corporation, told the Daily Signal in a text, If staff at South Madison are willing to lie to parents about this, what else are they willing to lie about? How can I be assured that my kid is safe while he's at Pendleton if they can't be trusted to be honest with me? Now, this is a great question. I've told you before. Schools that have this policy, they pitch this policy as, well, if the parents at home are not supportive, then we need to make sure that we protect the student from the family. Now, it's one thing if the family is dangerous. It's another thing if the family is not supportive. Families are generally not supportive of young kids going out and having sex and getting knocked up either. So I guess we need to hide that from family too. Families are generally not supportive of young kids doing drugs. So we hide that from the family too. Oh, Casey, that's different. Not really. The other thing that this does is it actually endangers the life of the student. We know for a fact, and this is there's been tons of research. I mean, it's common sense too, but there's tons of research on this. Obviously, we know that that transgender individuals have a very high suicide rate. And that is because they are dealing with an undiagnosed, oftentimes, not all the time, undiagnosed psychiatric issue. But we also know that their suicide rate increases when they don't have the support structure of their family. And this is a school refusing to allow the family to know what's going on so the family can do what families do. And you're isolating the student. And we know from the research that students who are isolated while dealing with these issues are more prone to suicide, more prone to depression, more prone to self-harm. All by simply denying the family this information. So this isn't a policy of compassion. This isn't a policy of 
gender affirmation. This is a policy that is extremely dangerous to the health and welfare and the safety, the livelihood of the student. This is not a unique circumstance either. Over the last two years, dozens of gender support plans with guidelines not to contact parents have been sent to teachers across the South Madison School District headquartered in Pendleton. Uh, See, according to a counselor, Kathy McCord confirmed all of this. Amanda Keegan, a geography and psychology teacher at Pendleton Heights High School, says that she resigned in part to protest this policy. Keegan gave an exclusive interview to the Daily Signal, quote, when I had to look at that parent and feel like I was lying to that parent, I was sick to my stomach, I can't lie to parents, and I can't do that again. Keegan also said that neither she nor other teachers had ever seen an official gender support plan, whether in blank or completed form and that she had received emails from counselors only when they were asking her to hide information from parents. So there doesn't appear to be an official plan. There's just something these counselors made up. Now, I do find this to be interesting. So I judged a comedy show earlier this week. And at this comedy show, one of the the comedians, um, who's very funny, by the way, she was a lesbian. It was obvious, and she joked about it being an obvious thing. But she also talked about when she came out to her family and her friends and how she kept doing it over and over again, and the spiel kept happening, and and she goes, I got sick and tired of people telling me, well, it's about time you realized it, uh, because everybody else knew. And there's a good chance that maybe everybody else knows about the student as well, maybe not, don't know. But the stress and the anxiety that goes into this, when you don't seek the support of your loved ones who, yeah, there might be an initial hurdle to get over. Sometimes it's really shocking news. Sometimes people think that they can fix it. I understand that. But at the end of the day, the vast majority of people who go through this are going to have a loving, supporting family who, although they may not understand at first, will come around and they will provide a blanket of love and support for the person who's going through it. And when you deny the family that ability You are taking away a precious and critical resource of love and affection from the student who is dealing with this. And that can only lead to tragedy down the line. It's not a policy of compassion at all. And it certainly isn't the school's place to hide information from parents. But it's also not anything new. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, also covering for Pat Miller. On Newstalk 1190, Whoa, Whoa, 107.5 FM. Yeah, a good buddy of mine, radio talk show host in Indianapolis. Tony Katz uh, was flashing his William Henry knife on Instagram earlier this week. I got I to gotta flash back because I have a William Henry knife from Impress Jewelry Creations. And right now, you can get a great discount on William Henry knives and other products from William Henry and many other uh, retail, well, not retail, and many other makers over at Impress Jewelry Creations as well because William Henry is one of the brands that are on sale for their holiday sale at Impress Jewelry Creation. So you already have their unrivaled selections, their design capabilities, and the boutique atmosphere that you get 
at Impress Jewelry Creations that I've raved about for years. This holiday, you can save up to 40% off with the Impress Jewelry Creations holiday sale. So you can get special deals like finding the perfect gift with 20% off nearly the entire store, 10% off top designer Zagani, Soho, and William Henry, and even 25 to 40% off select items. If you're looking for the perfect gift for somebody that doesn't have or that does have everything or is hard to shop for, Impress Jewelry Creations is the place to go. So don't miss this holiday uh, holiday sale happening now, up to 40% off. Find the perfect gift. Make sure you shop early for the best selection. Go to ImpressJewelers.com and also visit their showroom in person on University Drive next to C. Kramer Interiors. And as always, let Impress Jewelry Creations know that I sent you. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. New slogan for uh, my knife business. Alyssa is the uh, the one who gets credit for it. Your knives terrify me. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. I'm covering for Pat Miller. News Talk 1190, WoWo 107.5 FM. Live stream is rumble.com slash Casey the host. You can also watch the live stream on btmedia.news if you prefer. Okay, let's talk about geofencing warrants. Um, this is something that's come up quite a bit. The FBI has been using this uh, really a lot since January 6th, but not exclusively for January 6th. And this is something that is concerning a lot of people. Basically, the FBI is able to obtain warrants on people who were just within a certain area on a certain day. The House Committee investigating the events of January 6 is nearly finished with its work and a jury convicted a key figure in, in the uh, the riot in the Capitol of seditious conspiracy this week, which is expected to be appealed. Nearly 900 other criminal prosecutions of alleged rioters remain underway, and one case has shed troubling new light on how the FBI investigated these defendants. The suspect's name is David Ryan. And what makes his case unique, according to Wired Magazine, is his lawyer's his lawyer is the first to present a potentially successful challenge to the geofencing warrant that the FBI used to place some defendants inside the Capitol building during the, the riot. Okay, uh, there was a report last year from Wired Magazine that found 45 federal criminal cases citing the warrant, which required Google to provide the FBI with data on devices using its location services inside a set geographic area. So if you have Google location services turned on with your phone, which is required to get all of the bells and whistles of a Android device, then Google handed over your information to the FBI. This is why anytime you're going to be doing anything uh, that you might want some privacy for, you need to put your thing in airplane mode. It's going to be important to do that. Uh, Google initially listed 5,723 devices in response to the warrant then whittled the tally to exclude likely Capitol staff and police, as well as anybody who wasn't entirely within the geofence, to about a 70% probability. So there's a 70% probability, but it's not 100%. The final list of identifying details handed over to the FBI had 1,535 names. 
It included people whose phones had been turned off or put in airplane mode. Oh, never mind. Airplane mode didn't work, I guess. I didn't think it would work all that well, but it definitely doesn't work. People who attempted to delete their location data following the attacks were signaled, uh, singled out by the FBI for greater scrutiny. So there you go. Get a burner phone if you're going to do anything that you need super privacy for. Um, in about 50 cases, geofence data seems to have provided the initial identification of suspected rioters. Cool. Great story. Now do it for BLM and Antifa riots. I'm waiting. Because nobody was killed by January 6th protesters. But you got over 20 people who were murdered by BLM. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, if you have the ability to do this geofence stuff, because that's, law enforcement keeps saying, look, we can't arrest anybody in these BLM or Antifa riots because we don't know who they were. They were wearing masks after all. Oh, well, it turns out you can just geofence it. So backdate it, geofence it on all these riots, find everybody who's within the riot area and uh, go and arrest them. I'm waiting. We can do this, right? We have the technology. So this is where things get interesting. The Fourth Amendment requires search warrants to specify probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched. Now, we've increasingly seen the FBI violate the Fourth Amendment. They did this at Mar-a-Lago when they had a broad search warrant and searched the entire the entire uh, Mar-a-Lago resort, which you're not supposed to be able to get those warrants. So this lawyer is arguing that this is a Fourth Amendment violation using these these geofenced warrants. Oh, if you were in a certain location, then we can. That's probable cause to arrest you and charge you with a crime. No, no, it's not. That's that's really not how it works. So pay attention to this. Because we're going to get to a point where if you show up at a protest or something like that, even if you don't engage in any violence or anything, eh, they could geofence warrant you. So you better hope that this lawyer is successful in fighting against this. MNC News Time is 5.30. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. Hey, everybody. Casey Hendrickson here for Jason's Automotive in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you're looking for an auto repair place that you can trust, Jason's Automotive is the place that you need to go. They're not going to oversell you on services that you don't need. I know a lot of places have a reputation for doing that, not Jason's Automotive. So get your vehicle winter ready. Make sure you get the services taken care of. Make sure it's winterized. Get the batteries checked. Make sure all of that stuff is in good working order. You don't want to be out there and have your vehicle break down in the middle of a snowstorm or have the heater not work for you. Go to Jason's Automotive. You can also visit them online at jasonautotruckrepair.com. That is Jason with a Y. They're located on Main Street in Edwardsburg, Michigan, 26771 Main Street in Edwardsburg. And do me a favor, let Jason's Automotive know that I sent you.
Well, if you're under the age of 18, you are too stupid to own a firearm. But you should be able to vote. You're totally smart enough to vote for the people who will make laws in this country, according to the Democratic Party anyway. In America, the list of ineligible voters who are allowed, even encouraged, to cast ballots is long and growing longer. It includes dead people, illegal immigrants, and millions of people who refuse to meet the basic eligibility requirements mandated by states in order to maintain election integrity. And there's tons of stories about all of this stuff that we've gone over. We've gone over, not all of them, but we've gone over a lot of them on this show. Now, in the name of our democracy, Democrats are attempting to push the voting age down to 16. The Boston City Council recently chose to allow 16 and 17-year-olds to vote in all municipal elections at the behest of political activists. Now, of course, too stupid to own a gun. Nobody's responsible enough to own a fire. But you could totally vote. Yeah, it's, that's fine. Yeah, you could totally vote. Yeah. Get abortions, that sort of thing. The council sent a petition to the Massachusetts state legislature where the state house will determine whether or not the measure will be permitted. Advocates for allowing adolescents to determine the direction of our cities and nations argue that since some 16-year-olds are more mature than some 18-year-olds, the measure should be passed. Wow. Um, I can I can make that argument about any age group, I suppose. I know a lot of 21 and 22-year-olds that are more mature than a lot of you 50-year-olds out there. We don't apply a maturity index to the right to vote for any other age, says City Councilor Kenzie Bach. Having the opportunity to vote is what gives our 16 and 17 year olds a chance to engage meaningfully. No, um, picking up trash in their community and volunteering at a charity gives them meaning. Not voting. City Councilor Julia Magia who co-sponsored the petition, noted that young people have been denied representation for too long. What a dumb, stupid argument. Honestly, lowering the voting age to 16 and the adults who proposed it is actually proving their point that a lot of 16 and 17-year-olds are more mature than adults because these are two adults that are not mature. Young people are working, paying taxes, he said. When it comes to making a decision... As to who's going to represent them, that has been denied to them. Okay, I accept your premise. So this is a guy who co-sponsored the bill to allow 16 and 17-year-olds to vote under the premise that they are working and paying taxes. Cool. Let's apply that standard to everybody who votes. Like we used to. Even Alyssa's like, oh, hey, hey, that's not that's not a bad idea. Yeah, come on. Go ahead. That no, that was your premise, you stupid Democrat. You said it out loud. You weren't supposed to. See, right about now, Nancy Pelosi's going, dang it, said it out loud again. You're supposed to hide the motive. Okay? So if the premise for 16 and 17-year-olds to be able to vote is that they're working and paying taxes, therefore deserve to have representative government, then you're suggesting that people who don't work and don't pay taxes shouldn't. Okay, I will allow 16 and 17-year-olds to vote if they have a job and they're paying taxes, but to allow that, you have to deny the right to vote to anybody who doesn't pay taxes within, I will say, 18 months of the election. How about that? Because some people lose their job, but you got 18 months 
to find a jobby job in order to be able to vote. And I will let you cast a ballot if you've had a jobby job for as little as 30 days before the election. Come on, let's do it. Let's see what happens to the election results when we change that standard. Mm -hmm. Let's see. It used to be the standard in this country, but it's not anymore. A lot of people have suggested going back to it. He added that since children are often turned into political activists at school, they're actually more qualified than their parents. No, they're not more qualified just because they're political activists. Being a political activist does not make you an intelligent voter. Just like having a political science degree does not make you an intelligent person when it comes to political issues. What a stupid thing to say. How many people have a degree in something, yet they are woefully not proficient in it? Lots. Oftentimes, it's young people who are educating their parents and their uncles and aunts and older folks about who's running for office and why they should vote. Yeah. And oftentimes, it is 16 and 17-year-olds who can educate adults in how to properly handle and shoot a firearm, too. We can play this game all day long. I love this game. This is a fun game for me. We can play this game all day long if you really want to, because there's a lot of 16 and 17-year-olds out. You know what? Forget it. Not even 16 and 17. Let's let 13-year-olds vote, because there's a lot of 13-year-olds out there who know how to shoot really well. They go hunting every single year. They hit their shot every single time. If they're responsible enough to shoot a firearm and take a life, animal life, by the way, if they're responsible enough to do that, then... By all means, they should be able to vote, too, right? Especially since voting deals with specifically their rights to be able to use said firearm. Isn't that interesting? You're not mature enough to own a firearm, yet you're mature enough to make decisions. In fact, you know more than a lot of adults do. Right. How many people still have the same beliefs that they had when they were 16 years old? I know that I don't. How about you? Some of the have held over, but most people change their political beliefs as they get older. How many of you still have all of the exact same political beliefs you had at 16 years old? Right. And that means you were an idiot at 16. You matured, you advanced, and you changed your position because you got wiser and you had more experience. What a stupid argument. But hey, they want to use it? Let's roll with it. Got more coming up. 95.3 MNC and also covering for Pat Miller on Newstalk 1190 WOA 107.5 FM.